So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship corporately with other people. Lord, we just pray together that your Holy Spirit would show up this morning. We ask for your blessing, Lord. We need to meet with you today. And everybody said, amen. Failed to mention, just want to let you know if you're visiting with us, um, you've got a connection card here. You can just drop that in the offering. Um, If you'd like for us to stay in touch with you or if there are some needs in your life, uh, this gets circulated to a group of people throughout the week and we pray for you. So just wanted to bring that to your attention. I grew up in a Baptist church, and I think I've mentioned that before. Covina First Baptist, it still exists today. It's over 100 years old. Um, Fantastic Baptist church. Great, it's actually Northern Baptist. If you've ever looked at a chart of the different kinds of Baptists, it is bigger than the old school phone book. Um, Northern Baptist was not known for being conservative, but my church was. Uh, wonderful, wonderful church. We, my, I grew up in a family that was not religious, uh, but my mom said to me and to uh, my two brothers, Doug and Dave, she said, you guys have to go to church every Sunday until you hit eighth grade. After eighth grade, I'll leave it up to you. So she basically forced us to go to church. Uh, we pretty much only went for the donuts, and uh, of which we don't have any this morning, but we do have chili and cornbread. And uh, so we did, and I continued after eighth grade. My other brothers kind of fell away from church. That's a whole other story. They eventually came back to Jesus, and we, we are all walking with the Lord today. But just a, a great church, good teaching. I still remember the names of my pastors. Uh, got involved with the youth group, went on Wednesday night, sang in the choir. Those were back in the days when churches had choirs. And uh, then went to youth group, uh, went on missions trips. We had our own double-decker Greyhound bus. We'd go literally all over the country. Um, Those, again, were in the days when it was fashionable for youth groups to be involved in musicals. I hate musicals, uh, but uh, that was was in vogue. And so um, super involved with church. Uh, Went on Sunday nights when there was Sunday night service. I would say that at Covina First Baptist, I pretty much got most of my theological training. I can still tell you the name of every single Sunday school teacher that I had. And I remember the, the, just the, the time that they spent with me, pouring their lives into my scripture memory. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Awana. We had our own version of Awana. It might even be before Awana even existed. And it was, just a, it was just a great place to come to church. I, I felt loved. Um, there were people that uh, encouraged me. There were people that, in love, corrected me. Uh, it, there was great food. Uh, there were potlucks. Uh, and, and it was just one of those places that you were just happy to grow up in. I want to talk this morning a little bit about the difference between did and do And uh, I want to just talk a little bit about the history of do. Because as great as my church was, and as wonderful as the teaching was, and as wonderful as the potlucks were, when I would go home, there was always a sense in my life that I wasn't 
quite measuring up to what God wanted me to do. I, I always had this sense, um, I knew that God loved me, but there was always this sense that there was just something I was missing, that, I, that there was something that I needed to, perf- I needed to perform, um, that I needed to add something to my Christian life, that I, I just... It just wasn't, I mean, God loved me, Jesus and everything, you know, my theology, I think, was pretty good. But there was this just kind of like low-grade depression that I wasn't quite where God wanted me to be. And I, and I struggled with that for many, many years. Um, went to Bible school. Uh, got my master's in, in theology. Uh, went into the pastorate. And, uh, you know, weddings and funerals and baby dedications and child dedications and pastoral counseling. And, and, and you would think, by looking at me from the outside, that Dan Edmondson has his act together. And, and for the most part, I do. But for many, many years, there was just this sense that I needed to perform in order to get God to love me. It may not seem like it, but I am a type A person. And I don't like labels. My wife will tell you that. I hate labels. If I ever have to take a test where they say, you've got four choices, I'll always draw my own box and fill in my own answer. Uh, And thank the Lord for people that are just super, super detailed. I'm not a super detailed person. I'm I'm more of a big picture person. Uh, I oftentimes drive detailed, super micro-detailed people insane and usually have to apologize when working with them. Um, But that's okay. I mean, God has made all of us um, differently, and and, and we all have things to contribute to the kingdom. But still, something was missing. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I took a very short vacation. We went to the big island of Hawaii, and uh, spent five days just snorkeling, and we rented a Jeep, which was really cool, much different than driving a Mini. Um, we uh, drove around the whole island. We got halfway around the island, and you know, I turned to my wife and said, should we turn back? And she was kind of like, well, why would we do that? Let's just finish it out. And so I saw the volcano and had a great time. And one of the things that happened to me on this mini vacation is I began to decompress. Um, Summer is a great time to decompress. Summer is, I encourage you to come to church as often as you're in town, but I also, and I know Zach would back me up on this, we encourage you to take a family vacation. We encourage you to take some time off this summer. Take some time for yourself, because one of the things that happened to me is I began to realize that I didn't have to make a phone call, I didn't have to meet with anybody, I didn't have to send an email, although I did send a couple emails, uh, And and I just, I had some time, and during that time, God began to speak to my heart about some things in my life. Got back on a Saturday night, went to church on Sunday, Monday, walked into the church office, Um, for those of you that don't know where our church office is, it's right next to Vince's Coffee across the street from the big cemetery, and we've got a little office there. And if you could put up the next slide, guys, I walked into the office, and I saw on the chalkboard, this. Now, Liz Davis is our youth director, and 
Liz painted one of our walls with, um, how many of you guys know what chalkboard paint is, right? And so you, you paint your wall with chalkboard paint, you get some chalk, and, and you can write on the wall and, and erase it. It sort of kind of works. So I walked into the office, and, and this was just staring me in the face. The gospel is this. This is by Tim Keller. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Tim Keller. Tim Keller's been around forever. He is definitely, in church world, he's, he's, he is an icon. He is a pillar. I mean, he's up there with, you know, John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, Andy Stanley, you know, Rick Warren, the big guns. Tim Keller. And I remember standing in the church office. I'd just gotten back from this little vacation, and I read that. And it made me even more depressed. Because as I read that first part, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And I thought to myself, no. You don't have to tell me that I'm sinful. I know I'm sinful. Even as a pastor, I know I have problems in my life. I do not have difficulty believing that first section. I don't have a problem with that. It's the second part that I have been struggling with. You know, if you have your Bible... Um, Jeremiah 17.9. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to turn there. I'm just going to quote it for you. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Jeremiah 17.9. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, God says through the prophet Jeremiah that our hearts are desperately wicked. I have grown up my whole life, and, and rightly so, I have been taught that I am a sinful person. And in fact, in, in, in my theological upbringing, when sperm meets egg, and there's whatever happens there, boom, flash of light, breath of God, conception, sinful person. In other words, when you were born, you were already a sinner. I mean, you just look at some of the cute babies we have in this church, they're all sinners. And some of your parents are like, I know. But this is what the Bible actually teaches. You and I are actually conceived in sin. You can't get out of it. It's in your DNA. It's coursing through your veins right now. You are a sinful person. Thanks for coming to church, right? Let's pray and go have chili. But it's that second part. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ. Then how come nine times out of ten I don't feel that way? Why is it that I feel like I've always got to do something else to make God be pleased with me? I think of two things that I think we need to talk about this morning. I don't know about you, but I need this message this morning. They say that preachers just talk about that which with they are struggling. So I'm just giving you a little bit of my heart this morning. So I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the difference between did versus do. Did versus do. And there are some terms that we need to come to grips with. All right? So are you ready for this? I think you have a little uh, place in your um, program to write some stuff down if you want. 
I want to talk to you first about this theological word called justification. Now, for those of you that are, you know, kind of weekend theologians, you're going to be, oh, this is great, it's deep theology. For some of you, you're going to be like, oh man, don't lay any theology on me, but this is good stuff. You're going to leave encouraged today. Justification. What is it? Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul, writing of the Holy Spirit, says this. For you, speaking to the Christians in Ephesus, for you were, past tense, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So that means every single person, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1, every single person in this room, before you met Christ, you were dead. And then Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And then Paul goes on to talk about how we're created for good works. What does the Greek word dead mean? It means the same thing as the English word. I don't even remember how many funerals I've done in my lifetime. Lots and lots of funerals. I've been there in the hospital when people pass away. I've been into people's homes when they pass away. I've, I've, I've held people's hands as they pass away. I've never done a funeral where the person in the casket opened the casket and got up and said, Hallelujah, Jesus has healed me. Pretty sure I'd be freaked out about that. I mean, it'd be like just an awesome sermon illustration, but I've never seen that happen. The Bible says that literally there is nothing you can do to be right with God. Zero. There, there's no, it's as if though you were walking through the jungle uh, and you came upon some quicksand. Remember when you were a little kid? Uh, I, mean, I grew up, you know, where it was sunny all the time. So we, we'd, I spent most of my childhood at Huntington Beach. And uh, we would bury, you know, our brothers, you know, we'd bury Dave in the sand up to his neck and then say, you know, pour Kool-Aid on his head and say, see ya. Um, you know, uh, you're, you're going through the jungle. You're walking through the forest. You fall into a vat of quicksand, and you're down for the count, and there is no one around to save you. You are going to die. And then, just as you least expect it, you feel somebody's hand grab your hand and pull you up. You know what Christian is, Right? Christian ease is that Christians use these terms inside the church that people don't use at South Center. Uh, if you go down, you know, if you go to a park today, you're not going to hear people say, "Yo, oh, man, I just got saved." Uh, we just we use Christian terminology all the time. One of the things that we say is, "We got saved." Oh, I went to a summer camp. I got saved. Oh, Bob went to church. He got saved. This is literally what we are reflecting. We are saying that God saved us. Now, let's jump into Romans chapter 5. And I don't want to dump a lot of scripture on you this morning, but I want to talk about did versus do. Romans chapter 5, listen to what Paul again, man, Paul, he was a busy guy. Listen to what he says. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Newsflash, that's you. That's me. We are ungodly people. We are going down through the count. There is nothing you can do to get right with God. 
For scarcely, and Paul says this, all right, so there might be like this situation, for scarcely a righteous man will, uh, will one die, yet perhaps for, you know, Paul says maybe a good man, someone would even dare to die. Okay, dads, maybe you'd die for your kids. Uh, moms, maybe you'd, you know, you'd step in front of that train for, for the toddler. You know, Paul says, you know, that could conceivably happen. But God, verse 8, Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You're not even a good person. You might do good things, you know, moral things, but, but does, it's not going to get you to heaven. Verse 9, much more than having now been, here's the word, turn to your neighbor and just say the word justify. We just do that, just say justify much more than having now been justified, that's where we get the theological concept, justification, by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. You're not going to die. I, I, I mean, physically, unless the rapture happens and you're, you're around for it, you, you, you're going to live forever. You continue on. You shall be saved, it's right here, from the wrath through him. For if when we were, don't check out mentally here, for if when we were enemies, because we were, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, I mean, it gets better. But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I don't care what kind of mood you were in when you came to church this morning. If it was a bad mood, that bad mood should be gone. Because the Bible has just told you that you were down for the count. You couldn't save yourself. There's nothing you can do to get right with God. You are an enemy of God. And God reaches out. Did you deserve it? No way. In fact, you're, you're, you're an enemy. And God gives his life for you. This tells me there are three things we need to talk about. So three things. And I'm just going to put them right up here in front of you. But I want to talk about them one at a time. Three things that I pull out of the scripture. Number one, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the God we all worship, that God has declared you good. God has declared you good. I don't think you believe it. And I know there's times in my life I don't believe it. And it adversely affects my behavior because I don't really believe it. I don't know what you think about John Eldridge. Some people say he's controversial. I don't think he is. He's one of my most favorite Christian authors Eldridge writes this. A few of us were sitting around last week talking about the gospel, what it really promises and what it means for our lives. I was trying to make the case that the new covenant means nothing less than this. The heart is good. I was surprised to hear the protests from most of my Christian friends who are deeply committed followers of Jesus Christ and who have walked with him for years. What? That can't be, they said. Never. I've never heard that. I know, says Eldridge, neither had I. 
but it's undeniable the new covenant accomplished through the work of Christ means that we have a new heart. When you say yes to Jesus, and by the way, the Bible says, this isn't good Calvinism, this is good Bible teaching. The Bible says that God even gives you the faith to respond to him. Because remember, dead means dead. You've never seen a person rise from the dead. So God comes along, and he makes you alive. And because of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, even talked about in the scripture I just read, because of the sacrifice of Christ, God looks at you now and says, you are good. But you don't believe it, do you? I have a friend, his name is Dave Davies. He teaches at, uh, he's actually a, a part-time pastor. I used to pastor with him in SeaTac. And uh, he's also a full-time school teacher at uh, Highline uh, High School. Teaches history and psychology. Dave and I were talking not so long ago about this concept of the new covenant and what we have in Christ. And Dave said to me that in one of his psychology classes, he did an experiment. Now, Highline is a public high school. It has a 35% graduation rate. Um, people are struggling there. And Dave, I tell Dave, Dave, you're a missionary. Dave said he did an experiment in one of his psychology classes with his kids. Now, these are juniors, so you're talking about kids that are basically 17 years old. He paired each kid up, one with the other, and he explained to his students that they had to take this exercise seriously. They couldn't goof around, it was a grade, um, no, no messing around. What he said is, I want each of you to take the, I want you to take your hands, and I want you to put your hands around the face of the person in front of you, and I want you to look right into their eyes something we don't really do in our society. And I want you to look into their eyes and I want you to tell the person, your, your partner, I want you to tell them that they are loved by God. Now it's public school, so Dave couldn't say which God it was. But Dave said that the reaction of the students was incredible. He said people in his class began to weep. That football players in his class, just tears began to stream down their face because no one had ever said that to them before. And I think a lot of times we come to church and pastors, myself included, we're well-meaning, you know, but we, we need to tell you something. Yes, you're a sinner, but going back to what Keller says, that's only the first part of the story. Because of what Jesus has done for you, when God looks at you, he says, boy, Jerry, I love you. He says, Carrie, I am pleased with you. You say, Dan, I still do sinful things. I know. I do too. I did a plumbing job yesterday under the sink. Didn't swear once, actually. But God loves you. Why is that so difficult for us to believe? We believe God's for our salvation, but for some reason we don't believe it when the Bible says we are, I'm reading right from the scripture, we are justified by his blood. Number two, Romans, Paul tells us Jesus took the hit. Jesus took the hit. Jesus took the hit. Is, is somebody in here have a pen? Somebody in here, Carrie, can I just borrow your pen here? 
let's just say that Carrie, Carrie's not the devil, um, but let's just say that Carrie's the devil. And let's just say that this pen represents Carrie, the devil. Alright? Carrie got gloves. And here's Dan Edmondson up here, and Dan Edmondson's going to hell. Because Dan Edmondson is, was conceived in sin. I have no way out, and the devil is coming after me. And this pen represents everything that my sin involves, everything that the devil throws at me, and it's coming my way. And Jesus, according to the Bible, pushes me out of the way, and it goes to the cross. Sin taken care of. The Bible says that all of your sins in the past, all of the sins that you committed in the last five minutes, and all of the sins that you will commit after the chili feed in a few moments, have been nailed to this cross. Man, if that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, I don't know how to help you. Because that's what the gospel is. And then number three, it's restored us as sons and daughters. I am now a child of the king. I am a prince. If you're a female, you are a princess. You can't do that anyways. But this is what the Bible says. You are a child of almighty God. Does that mean you're Jesus? No. That's blasphemy. But what it means is that God has a wonderful plan for your life. Because you've been justified. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. That is the amazing thing. I don't know about you, but I love justification. And I love that Jesus paid it all. Yes, all to him I do owe. Now, if I were to stop right here, I wouldn't be doing justice to the message. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, here it comes, man. He's going to tell me you've got to come to the Tuesday night Bible study. No, I'm not. It would be nice if you did. But we need to talk about another term, which is sanctification. And this is where you get your spiritual hands dirty. Sometimes you get your physical hands dirty. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Philippians. Now, you've got to know what this is in context. Paul is writing to the church. So it is, it, it's plural, it's corporate, but it is also individual because the corporate church is made up of individuals. And Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved Christians, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. In other words, Paul's saying, Hey, listen, if I don't show up to church, I, I know that you're still walking with the Lord, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. <gasps> Works, Dan, that means that I have to do things. No, hang on, hang on. Buckle up. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2. So right here in the Bible, it says, work out your own salvation. Now notice, it, Paul doesn't say work for your salvation, because that's impossible. It's work it out. Now, what's the next logical question? How do you work it out? If, if, if God has justified you in Jesus on the cross and given you salvation, how do you work out your salvation? Easy peasy, John 15, 4. John 15, 4. 
Jesus is about to go to the cross. He just has a few moments with his, with his guys. And he's talking to the disciples. And this is what he says to them in John 15. He says, guys, I want you to abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now I looked up that little Greek word. Notice it's three times in one verse. Abide, abide, abide. And it's the Greek word meno. And it literally means to dwell with God. My son, Andy, is home for the summer. Andy's working on his master's, living down in L.A., got another year left. I'm going to be probably a missionary, who knows, somewhere on the other side of the world, Papua New Guinea. You know, I don't know. He doesn't know, but he's praying about it, working it out, working out his salvation. I love when my son comes home. When my son comes home, I am a different person. Because I love, in fact, I love when his, his, it's actually mine, but I love it. I love when that 2001 Jetta Volkswagen station wagon pulls up. And, and it has a certain sound. You know, you know what I'm talking about, guys? You know, you, your car, ladies, your car has a certain sound. Only that car has that sound. I love when my son comes home for the summer because he's home. Because I like to live with him. And he's not around for very long. And then I maybe see him, you know, Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas. I have to fly down to L.A., This is what Jesus says. Now, you're like, Dan, how did you go from Philippians to John? Because Paul says, work out your own salvation. It's not works because you already have your salvation. You can't work for your salvation. But once you have salvation, you work it out. But how do you do that? You abide. How do you abide? Let me give you some stuff. Let me give you some stuff. This is so basic. Let me give you an illustration. Occasion, I give my wife flowers. Uh, let's just say, now this is just for argument's sake, let's just say that, uh, now if you're a girl, I'm going to give these to a girl, this, there's no romantic gesture whatsoever. This is just purely for illustrative purposes, all right? But I'm going to give these flowers to Jamie. I'm going to give these flowers to Jamie Matthews. Jamie, here's some flowers. Did you hear what she just said? Say it again, Jamie. Thank you, Dan. We call that an appropriate response. And I have a feeling that if Christopher gave flowers, didn't know Christopher's like, oh man, now I gotta do You know, if Christopher gave flowers to Jamie, my guess is, guys, nine times out of ten, unless you got some issues you gotta work through, don't just give the flowers, you know, until you work through stuff, because then your wife's gonna be even more angry. All right? But Nine times out of ten, when I give flowers to my wife, she says, oh my gosh, thank you. What is this for? I say, nothing. I just love you. Ka-ching in the bank for me. All right? She, what does she do? She runs to the kitchen. She goes underneath the kitchen sink. She gets a vase. She clips the ends of the flowers, you know, and then she puts in the white stuff so they last three months, and then puts them in a prominent place and says, thank you. That is an appropriate response. That is sanctification. Because of what Christ has done for us. Man, I got I just want to say thank you, Jesus. I and 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 Christ says, here's how you do it. You simply abide. What does that look like? Number one, a deep and abiding prayer life. 
Now, you say, Dan, sure sounds like works to me. No, it's not works. I want to talk to Jesus. I want to talk to my family. I want to talk to you people in the mission church. I love you guys. Zach and I, we love you guys. I mean, Zach and I talked a, a couple of weeks ago. We realized how much money we've been making in realtors right now. And Zach, I don't know if you guys know this, but he is an incredible carpenter. I mean, he could be making some serious bank here. We don't want to do anything else. We could do something else, but we, we have done other things. We want to serve you because we love you. It is not a chore for me to call you up and say, hey, we have some coffee together. I'd love to do that. A deep abiding prayer life. This is where Paul says that we're to pray in the Spirit. I take it that means there's really no other way to pray. If I'm at the mall, I pray. If I'm in the shower, I pray. If I'm working on the car, I pray. If I'm on the 405, boy, do I pray. All right? I, just, I don't just pray at church. My whole life, I'm in prayer. Pray without ceasing. That's what it means to abide. Another thing is a hunger for the Word of God. A hunger, not like, well, got up this morning, preacher, read through my daily bread. How sad for you. Dear ones, if your life is just high-centered, if you're, if you're going nowhere, look, can I just challenge you? And, and I'm, not, I'm not on your case, but if I step on your toes, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. If you look back on your last week, just the last week alone, did you spend at least an hour just meditating on the Word of God? If in your heart you say, no way, Dad, I'm going to tell you right there, that's why your life is a wreck. It's not works, but it's working out. A strong desire to be in fellowship. These are the do's. This is, a, this is appropriate response because of what Christ has done for me. Oh man, I love to be with God's people. I love to talk with other Christians. That's one of the reasons we're doing Cafe Sunday. It's just one big community group that we're going to do once a month to give you an opportunity just to hang out with one another. That is so important. And then the last thing of abiding is a passion for the lost. Not just like, oh well, that's somebody else's problem. But a passion for the lost. I know that most of us aren't going to be missionaries to Africa, although in this church that could actually happen. But I mean, the people that you work with. I was in Lowe's yesterday. We just moved into a new house, and it's like a major fixer-upper, and my goodness, dear ones, I, I live at Lowe's. Um, in fact, I, I've been at Lowe's so many times, I don't think they want to see me. They're about to bar me from the store. And I'm standing at the checkout line uh, yesterday, and this cashier just looked like someone just hooked her up to a machine and just sucked the life out of her. She had just, her dog got run over. It was a country western song face. And there was a, a bag of Doritos right there on the counter at Lowe's. And I just said, hey, do you get free Doritos for working here? And she said, no. But then she started to smile. Now, I didn't share the four spiritual laws with her. But I was tempted to. Because we're living in a world where people are lost. People have no hope. People are just... I saw Air Force One yesterday. I really did. In person. It flew over Lowe's. I saw Air Force One and I, and I thought, oh, maybe, you know, the next election, man. And it's like, no way. You know, we're in a world of hurt, no matter how you slice it, no matter who you're voting for, no matter, you know, but... 
when you go back to what Christ has done for us, man, that's a reason to get out of bed. John F. Kennedy, in closing, if the worship team could come on down here. Kennedy said this, As we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. I like that. That's JFK, a Democrat, said that. As we express our gratitude, we must never forget that thy highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do, no hoop to jump through, no mountain to climb. God loves you. And it'll change your life when you get out of bed tomorrow morning, Monday, and you start believing that. Father, we thank you that you have declared us righteous because of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for the new heart that you have put into us. Lord, I pray we as a mission church would start living our lives as if we actually believed this stuff. In Jesus' name.